You're listening to Rosie Cole's Vaudeville Broadcast. This program may contain adult content, so if you're under 18, please either get permission or switch it off. Hello, podcast listeners. It is Rosie Cole yet again with another wonderful episode, and today I am so privileged to be interviewing the fabulous Lolo Brown. Well, hello. Hello. It's so good to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. You're such a wonderful host. Oh, ugh. So, for the very unfortunate people who have never seen you perform... Poor things. I know. I, <laughs> I am very sad for them. Um, what is it that you do? I, my usual answer to this is that I get on stage and I shout. Um, <laughs> and occasionally I take my clothes off or throw my ass in someone's face. But the core of what I do, I'm a neo-burlesque performer, drag artist and freak show performer. That's pretty much the down to it. Yeah. There's some labels. It's, it's some they're good labels. I wish I would wander around with badges that said all these things. <laughs> yeah. Just to like stop people coming up to me and be like, what do you do? I'm like, leave me alone. Yeah, well, we'd say, <laughs> well, we turn the microphone on about people asking questions. Yeah, they, 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 asking questions is great. It's when people ask them in a certain light where they've already geared up to attack you, that's when it's a problem. Yeah, it's mm. the kind of leading question. Yeah. Like, so what, what is what? What's wrong with what's you? Wrong? And you're like, so many things. <laughs> The multi-talented, multi-skilled performer you are now, obviously, uh, sure had, not. To, <laughs> had to develop over some time, I'm assuming. Yes, so, quite well. Um, how did you get started in performance? Like, what what attracted you to the stage? Uh, my mum threw me into ballet classes from the moment I could walk, um, and I thank her every day for it. It gave me a massive sense of dis- discipline and um, a real good cultural start. And, um, um, and then growing up, I naturally found that I wasn't exactly academic (laughs) I was quite loud and um my mum tells me stories about me running around the house where she's like dancing and singing while she's trying to put pants on me (laughs) um so it was no surprise that I really turned out like this and then when I started hitting my teens musical theatre obviously appealed and I was like oh my god I'm gonna be on the stage (laughs) and then I realised that actually I wasn't very good at acting Um, because I just couldn't be anyone else but myself. So that's why I get getting cast as the whore, which is super fun. <laughs> Bugsy Malone came up, which was like, Tallulah, I'm like, oh. Tallulah's awesome. Tallulah is awesome, but I felt like I was getting very tight cast at a very young age. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, but in the film, Tallulah was Jodie Foster. I know, so and she's badass. We love Jodie Foster. I, I really like her, and, and I really enjoyed playing her. Um, <laughs> um, and then uh, and yeah so as my like teen years went on I became more of a freak and more of an outcast as, as so many in our profession do um, and um, found can, like found comfort and sanctuary in my drama studio and my drama teacher and really fell in love with scripts and, and also all of a sudden out of the blue my school hired this teacher and I owe everything to her, and I'm still trying to track her down. If anyone knows who Maureen Bucked is, and she used to live in Windsor, please get in contact, because I'm trying to find her. Um, she was a teacher that came to my school, and she literally just, out of the blue, just appeared. And all of a sudden, after years of being taught about musical theatre, Shakespeare, and very classic theatre, she all of a sudden just turned around and went, Buto, Brecht, and mm. like Arto, and like theatre of cruelty and just went boof and physical theatre and just threw it all right in front of me and 
this you can avoid learning all those things at a GCSE syllabus. Like teachers don't have to teach you those things. You can stay classical. And if I if it wasn't for her coming into my life, I wouldn't know any of that. She also came in at a very difficult point where my parents were divorcing and I was super super just fucked in the head a little bit. And so I was avoiding like my work and she was really hard on me and she just like nailed it. She was like, No, you just gotta do it. She shouted at me and shouted at me and got it done. And um, she just showed me so many weird, wonderful things that I don't think I would have... I think I'd probably be doing Shakespeare now if it wasn't for her. Um, <laughs> I would love to see that. I like. I love Shakespeare. I think it's beautiful, but it's definitely not for me. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she just kind of threw all these things at me. And I, um, then I went on to, obviously, Joe's drama school, um, Central School of Speech and Drama, which um, mm. gave me a lovely education in performance art where I made puppets out of ox tongue and... And Lovely. licked sand and ran around on my which knees. Which course did you do? Performance art, performance theater practice. Art. Ah, it was really, really. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time, and I my training was really, really good. And Simon Donjay uh, was one of my tutors, and he was phenomenal. He just was so brutally honest and so bizarre. But I love him. <laughs> um, so I learned so much, and then um, halfway through my theatre training there. Decided I wanted to be a performance artist, but I really fell in love with the art of burlesque. Thought it was really beautiful and very, very um, interesting. And like, you'll have an exclusive here. My first ever burlesque was a balloon pop. Really? To some swing music. <laughs> and my the original dirty name. Dirty secrets come out. And my original name was Licky Biscuit. Um, and I really, I wanted to be dirty. I wanted to be watching. I had no idea about to go about it. And but Mister Mistress, who is meths past alter ego was my um su president and kind of luckily took me under his wing (laughs) and just was like here's like political stuff and things you can do with this and really helped me sculpt characters and stuff and through that Lola Brown was developed my first act Nigella where I fell in love with filth and comedy and the idea of making people laughing and thinking at the same time so I went back to my Brechtian roots um, so I owe a lot to Meth. She really, she really saved me a little, you out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how long you would have gone on. How long I would have gone classical. on. <laughs> classic is, classical is beautiful and people do it so well. I love classic. I just wasn't able to do it <laughs> because I have the grace of a slug. Um, so. I don't think that's true. Oh my God. I can't, I can't even explain to you how ungraceful I am. Rarely is there a point where I'm going, oh, this is really coming together. To be honest, a lot of the time it feels like, oh my god, my arms won't come back! <laughs> and because I get quite manic on stage. <laughs> so reeling it in is quite fun. But yeah, it's all good. I feel like maybe it's because I've been taught like a codified set of moves with belly dance board. Like, yeah, of I course. I do it on stage. You I'm know like, where you are with exactly. it. Exactly, I'm like, yeah, and sometimes these belly dance moves come out and I'm like, shit, that was badass. When did... When did I learn how to do that? Oh my god, I'm subconsciously the best belly dancer ever. Exactly, and then I try to replicate it when I get off stage, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't work anymore. The adrenaline <laughs> and the feedback from an audience does make the difference, like, a million times. Like, I'm ten times more flexible on stage, because the adrenaline running through my body allows me to go into backward bends. And, like, I can drop into the splits normally and fine, but when I'm on stage, they're just much better. And, yeah. it, and it's like, oh, I'm here, this is fine. Um, and it makes sense, but it's because you're getting so much feedback and positive reinforcement, both physically and emotionally. It just happens. It just works. And I can see how people do get addicted to performing. Yeah. It is very, very, very hard to walk away from. For sure. It is. So how did you, because you said you, you became fascinated with burlesque. Do you remember the first 
time you actually saw burlesque or heard about burlesque. Actually, or... no. Ooh. I don't remember the first time I saw it. I can tell you the first few acts I remember, mm-hmm. which is really, really bad, actually, because I suppose I wasn't taken by burlesque by the, obviously the first people who saw it, but I can tell you the ones who really made me go, oh. Mm. Um, I saw Ginger Blush, yeah, Ginger Blush doing a um, Queen Elizabeth act. It's an ironing board where she walks into the ironing board. I saw Betsy Bonbon, who I was just like, oh my God! Ass for days, just lips for oh days. God, just pure confidence and just fabulous and loving with everything she did and really loved it. On legs. Um I Audacity Hutzpah, still my hero. Fucking love that woman. What a name as well. <sighs> She's just so funny, I can't even handle how funny she is. And then I was um and then I fell upon Laurie Hagen and she was mind blowing. So She's talented. Performance arty as well. Yeah, so talented and so funny and interesting to the point where I emailed her being like, um, do you want to like let me come to a few shows and I'll do some videoing and, and you can mentor me a little bit? And she was like, yeah, sure, fine. And I was very lucky enough for her to be very kind and um, nurture me a little bit. Oh my God, um, you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised. It was one of those things that I kind of just sent out into the universe a bit like, this is I'm never gonna get anything back. Laurie Hagen's too big, too wonderful, but she was so kind. Wow. And to this day, I do thank her for a lot. She's amazing. She's so wonderful, and so she was able to answer all the little niggly questions. And it also meant that I went to go watch shows at like Cafe de Paris and stuff at the yeah. very beginning of my career, which kind of gave me this really good goal. Um, and also to see that certain venues require certain things and your costume has to be of a certain standard. So throughout my old career, I did have a base where I was looking at top quality stuff and understanding that I had to go that way. Mm. So it was really, really great grounding. And also her brain is just friggin' wonderful. Yeah. Like just pff, awesome. It's so great to be, I think it's a dance teacher said this to me, but um, it's like stare at what you want to become. Mm. Something that she she said a lot, which is very much like, look at the things that you want to be and like just absorb it like a sponge so to have that so accessible to you at the beginning yeah that kind of level and that quality of performance and also having been... meth right there as well it was i i've i was i can't fault my training i'm really lucky to have those two people in my life at the very beginning <laughs> um and now having meth being there being really political and really like gender focused it was mm. really good two good things where you like had to learn to be both commercial and approachable in the in to make sure you got work but at the same time always hold true to messages and politics and stuff so it was like a, oh, two brilliant little things i was so happy <laughs> <laughs> that's so great so where did you where did you go from there after after your nigella nigella was first nigella was first that was my baby and how was how was it received when you first did it where did you first do it I first did it for the first ever time. I wasn't, basically the first time I was going to do it, I wasn't originally going to do it. Um, sadly, um, I had my heart broken. And like, you know that first proper heartbreak? Oh. The full together since we were little. And um, completely ruined me, out of the blue. Completely heartbroken. And it was so sad. And I threw myself into a very, very dark place by accident because obviously that just happens. Mm. But I had planned to do this Nigella thing anyway. But I was like, I was kind of like, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And um, Meth was very kind. 
and was just like, get your ass on that stage. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, so I did it and I'm, oh God, I've never looked back. I'm so glad I did it in my SU for the first time. Everyone, best way of doing it, all my friends were in the audience, really, really supportive, went really well. But then as soon as that, well, literally next week, I went to do it at bar whatever because I had to see what would happen to people that weren't my friends. Because obviously my friends are going to be, yay! Um, so then I did it to another audience and it went down a treat. And then I did it at a few other little things and warehouse and squat parties. And then um, I got um, did it at Burlesque Idol where it got picked up by Tempest Rose. And even now, a few years later, I still did a full season of Nigella at the Wonderground. So it's still like there and it's still very much with me so yeah that's how it kind of happened wow <laughs> yeah it's good though it's a combination of of having good people around you but also pushing yourself yeah do... I've, I've been very lucky with people who've um thrown me lots of bones and which is combined with uh bashing my head against a cheese grater and trying to work as hard as possible yeah, <laughs> yeah for mm. sure so after nigella and oh burlesque idol yeah mm. what, was that its first year uh, that was 2011. 2011. Two, I think it was, was it 2011 same? or 2012. I can't remember. 2012 was, I think, Violet Blaze. Yeah, I came year. second to Violet Blaze. At 2012. Yeah, I came second to that wonderful I finally found something that I loved and I'd finally found something that I was good at and that was making people laugh. And I was like, oh my God, people are laughing with me, not at me. This is like a brilliant change of my childhood. Um, so <laughs> I know, it's fine. Um, but, so I was really confident I was finding something I loved. So I really enjoyed the competition because it was the first time that I actually competed in something where I believed in myself. Like, I did competitions at school and things like that and competed in sports and that was fine, but I never really truly believed that I was going to win anything. I never had a competitive instinct. And I still didn't feel competitive with Burlesque Idol. I just felt like I was okay to be there. And that was the first time that I felt like that. So I was like, yay, this is totally for me. And then all the wonderful positive reinforcement from Tempest, bless her, was really great. And she was super, super supportive and really wonderful. Um, So, yeah, I was it was... I, I'm not a big believer in competition, especially with things of an artistic nature, because everything everything is subjective and it's very difficult to measure something against something else, especially when you look at Violet Blaze and myself. Oh my god. Massively So different. Completely opposite ends of the scales. And so things like that not necessarily should be in the same competition, but at the same time it was lovely to work alongside it. Um, because it introduces you to performers who would otherwise yeah. uh, just by nature of the way you work would just avoid really yeah and it's what well, uh well, me and violet blaze have worked quite a few times together oh, so funny. yeah um She's and we so have great. we have a very similar color scheme it's brilliant <laughs> um we did a show where we just had like like we kept turning around and being like i'm wearing purple no i'm wearing purple and then we turn around and be like no i'm wearing white and it was really <laughs> short and then we were sharing a hotel room which turns out we had the same pajamas um, amazing same colour pajamas we weren't that ridiculous but um, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but yeah she's still a lot of fun yeah so it's really good and it's really good about teaching because there's one thing that um, competitions really don't take into account in festivals and stuff like that don't take into account um, backstage manner um, to me is one of the most important things like you can be having the most shitty stressful day in the world but it's not anyone in the dressing room's fault it's not the stage manager's fault it's not the lighting's fault and um, whatever happens to your stage is to be honest 
pretty much your fault. Yeah. Um, I'm a strong believer in that. So I really have a massive problem with any performer who comes in and is rude to people or treats people like they're below them. Everyone in the dressing room is equal, end of. Like, you can be in the dressing room... I've been in, like, been in dressing room with people like Sharon Needles and stuff, like, people who are, like, amazing, but they will still treat everyone in the dressing room like the same, and that is how you should be. And I don't... I really have a massive disrespect for any performer that goes against that. Anyone who makes a stage manager upset is is dead in my book. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I... No, you're, I you're gone. <laughs> I can't. And people who... Yeah, I really, really struggle with... Um, People, the way some people treat stage managers because working as a receptionist and things like that in the past I've worked as a receptionist in medical and private medical companies and things like that where like if someone's rude to me on the phone it's like oh there's no appointments available today stars <laughs> don't fuck with the stage manager and don't fuck with the light technician or the sound technician because they are the pillars on which your performance stands you don't ho-hammering at the beautiful wonderful foundations of the art world because you're only going to fall down as well with everything so it's just like and you're going to be the one who's going to be seen falling down naked fuck you up and like even though but the thing is i do know that all the st- stage managers that i work with and all the lighting technicians and all the wonderful state like sound people like even though they have the power to do that i've seen some oh. performers treat them they would never, they never use would. it no they're too professional they're too professional and that's what makes them so much better than some of the performers that do do that yeah there's not many of them there's really really not i'm talking about it as if there's a massive problem in the thing there's not there's not many people that do do that it's just always a it's a nasty shock when someone does that yeah so going back to the competitions it's nice to see a competition that doesn't necessarily take stage backstage manner into account but it also does it does take professionalism into account which i think is really important because like with such big festivals and really big huge competitions in the world all they can do is look at what you do on stage they can't see what you contribute to community they can't see how you treat other performers backstage and they certainly can't see how you developed your act or where your act came from or if it is in fact original yeah they just see what's in front of them yes so that's what I'm worried about with bigger competitions, but I am really interested in, like, it was a really good start, and I'm, I I hope Burlesque Idol does continue in that way. I think it's really great for a really lovely way of getting yourself in for a good professional thinking. It's very good. Yeah. And it seems pretty much all the people I know who come through Burlesque Idol have mm. been lovely. Oh, yeah. Really, really lovely fun. people. They seem to seem to attract great people. They seem to have a really great ethos. Yeah, it's because people, it's, it's for people who want to start something they want to get somewhere mm. so there's people with an element of determination and a love for their sport i suppose yeah oh but that's gonna be great as a sport <laughs> so i called it a sport before that's <laughs> olympics <laughs> yes that'd be so, so good fun um, all sorts going on there oh, that would be brilliant like you'd have like stocking peel sections how fast can you get your course off how fast can you get an overbus course off tassel twirling oh my god it'd be it'd be amazing so fun something i think i really want to do that now how can i run how can i run that i cannot have another show i'm done done booking a show yeah so burnout started happening you started getting work with Nigella a lot did you i was still at uni when this was happening so i was very lucky to start work when i was in the uni (laughs) yeah it's very lucky it's amazing um after Nigella, what came next? You started <laughs> looking, obviously, the secret classic balloon pop first try. That doesn't exist anywhere. Doesn't exist. You, you have an exclusive on that one. <laughs> I get so many exclusives. I get so excited about this. Um, it's so great. Um, 
so then obviously with Nigella it's much more comedy it's much sort of filthier it's less classic and it's less classic it's still comedy but it's still appropriate for classic burlesque yeah it works as that comedy novelty kind of stuff. Bridge. um uh, but i wanted to go a little bit deeper yeah i wanted Nigella was a great gateway and it was a really good way of getting into the community it was light it was funny but at the same time it was quite sordid so it was like yay that's the, that's where i want to start um and then i approached meth about doing another act because obviously once you have one act and you start doing other shows people are like but we need you for two acts. We can't just book you for one. And I was like, ah, and you're like, um, Yes, you can. Oh. I'll do it twice. And I was thinking of loads of ideas and stuff. I was trying to come up with something. And I was like, oh, nothing really happening. But I had always, always, always just wanted just to give someone my iPod and just go, fuck it, do what you want. Um, and I approached Matthew and I'm like, is there a way that I can just get the audience to change music? And he was kind of like, don't know if that's going to work. And I was like, yeah. And she really... She wanted, she wanted to be supportive, but it was that kind of like, what the fuck? Um, you performance art, kid. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I was really interested because burlesque and cabaret really allowed for that avenue for the audience to give back and shout and gave them the freedom to be like, woo, yeah, I'm having a great time and vocalise how they're feeling and also to vocalise if they were feeling that they didn't enjoy something, which is also extremely like Shakespearean in terms of like back in the day. People would let you know if they didn't like you, which I kind of like as... A little bit of like, ooh. Um, so, I, but I wanted to take it that much further. I wanted the audience to stop being voyeuristic. I wanted them to stop sitting there and just be like, da, 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 and stop being passive. Mm. What's happening in front of you is because you're there. It's not like I'm doing this in my room. This is doing it because you've bought a ticket and you're here. So why not join in? And also, I wanted to play on the idea. So many people have issues with women taking their clothes off, which is a super fun just topic that's very, very long and very, very over. <laughs> oh, uh, have we done that topic to death yet? Oh my god! Apparently not. Even though we've been talking about it since whatever BC. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't. Um, but um, so it's amazing, isn't it, how people are like boobs. But they see them everywhere. But yeah. when they're in real life, they can't handle them. It's ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, so I was just like, okay, I want you to feel responsible for what's happening then. Because that way you can feel guilty if you want to feel guilty, but then you have to take responsibility for that feeling. Or if you're enjoying it, you're still taking responsibility for that. And how do you feel about that? And I wanted people to question it and think about it. And I know I know that that's not necessarily what's always happening with this one, but if one person thinks like that, then I've done my job. Uh, so I created the shuffle where the audience can, where the iPod is given to the wonderful sound technician or whoever that might be and it's set to shuffle there's a roundabout on the list i started on the list with 110 songs and now the list has 1200 songs and they range from like classic stripper tunes right through to like ghostbusters and the crazy frog and west side story um and the audience can shout change at any point and when they shout change the music has to change and i have to go along with it so it was it's still my favorite act i cannot even explain how much I love it it's my favourite thing in the world um, but yeah so the act is the act is exactly a shame it hasn't changed the only thing that's changed is the costume and the amount of songs which is good that's so cool mm, it's super fun yeah makes me really happy that one because every yeah. time I get booked for it I'm like yay because <laughs> well yeah it does and it gets the audience it wakes them up yeah because they have to start suddenly you have to start participating not just in a oh we're being told to clap let's clap 
Yeah, it also gets the audience to act as a team in certain ways. They start feeling the times in which they want to start change. They also start turning on each other. It also creates conflicts and discussions within the audience. I know this is a lot deeper than a lot of things that probably are happening, but I've had experiences where the audience, there's been an audience member who's been an arsehole just going, change, 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 and not letting any song play to the point where some other audience member has grabbed his mouth and and everyone else in the audience is like, yay! And then they work (laughs) together. So I've seen people reject other audience members for doing it wrong or for taking advantage of me. Wow. So it's really, really quite fascinating. And it's and it's like, this is not TV, this is real. You get so. some really, really interesting like group dynamics. Yeah, it's on. really fun. It's fascinating. And different sizes, groups work really weirdly. It's oh really good. Oh my god, good. I really want to have like a whole conversation in here about this. But you do so much stuff. I want to keep like... I do, so. do bits and bobs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say you do bits and bobs. So you've already mentioned that you did also have a radio show oh years ago yeah i had a radio show it was very short-lived um very much like this where i just wanted to talk to people within the community and i wanted to find out what made them happy and what they wanted to do i literally did like three shows <laughs> i had four shows and then i realized that um i wanted to focus more on my performance and i could contribute better to through the industry via the shows i was creating and via performing and helping out with other shows than creating something for the public about the community. So my work was within the community and not presenting it, if that makes sense. Mm, so interesting. yeah, it, it, it basically, it wasn't for me. I, I didn't have the patience for it. Unlike you who are wonderful and have the patience to listen <laughs> to people like me gab on for hours about shit. But you also produce nights as well. I do. And I love my shows. It made me really happy and super Derangium. stressed. Yay! <laughs> In particular, <laughs> has quite the buzz surrounding it. I'm so excited. Because every time you're like, there's a derangium, it seems like early bird advance tickets just disappear within, like, minutes. Uh, yeah, well, this time they really did. Um, they disappeared in two minutes. Uh, it was, that was only a small number of tickets. I'm not, like, selling out within minutes. Um, but it was just nice to see that people were like, yay! Um, <laughs> which was really good because um, derangium isn't a show that I make any money on. I break in even barely, um, and that money all goes to my performers and my crew. I don't get paid. Not saying that it's not because I want to get paid. I do it because it's my baby. Mm. It's my little baby show where I booked acts that I want to be booked and I want to put them in a room and go play. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Derangium is, that's how Derangium started. Um, Theatre Deli were like, do you want to do a show? And I was like, uh, yeah. This was like six months into my career. And they're like, well, we've got a basement for you for this night. Why don't you do a show? And I was like, that's in two weeks time. So I just like kind of grabbed loads of performers and was like, I really like you. I'm not gonna make any money. Would you mind? I can guarantee you this much money. And if I if we don't make that money, I'll still pay that much. No, that wasn't the first one. The first one I was very lucky because Family Fierce um, were very kind and offered me their services in exchange for the door split. And then after that, it turned into events where um, I guarantee a certain amount of fee, and then anything above goes back to the performers. But yeah, so I just got to book all the acts that I really liked. And it was also a platform, because I don't, as a performer, you know, one of the biggest problems in our industry is um, money. Um, there's not enough of it. And there's a lot of producers that take the freaking shitty piss. 
that's a horrible expression, but it's true, who are absolute arseholes. And when you say, this is my fee, they're like, oh, I can find someone who can do it for 40 quid. You're like, well, then they're going to be shit. <laughs> then they're not um, going to be me. Why did you talk they have, to me? They have nowhere near as many rhinestones as they need to have then. <laughs> um, and it's one of my biggest issues. But sadly, with Derangium, I still can't pay my artists properly. I still, this is one thing I will never be quiet about. I, I will never, like, hide away. It's very, very known fact that I can't pay my artists their full fee. Um, I fully intend on being able to at some point. That's why Derangium keeps going. That's why I'm so grateful for artists and their time because that means that it'll keep climbing and climbing and climbing. And then one day when it's big enough, I'll be paying everyone like thousands. It'll be amazing. And finally paying what people deserve. But for now, so it's for the exchange, it's rather that they have a basic fee and then they can use it as a platform. They can use it to play if they want to try something new. And that's what makes Derangium so good because most of the time I don't even know what's going to happen. So good so the first one family fierce ah yes you are a member of the family fierce i am indeed ah how did that happen meth meth well, meth. meth was my mama um she got together with ruby and cairo ah um, meth and ruby are the are like people who bring people together yeah like i've had a couple of conversations where people uh, are like they... meth did it or ruby did it and i'm like ah. yeah, yeah i suppose um but yeah then it kind of just grew and then we, at first it was just people hanging out and happened to perform at same events and then I developed and developed and developed. I make it sound a lot less dramatic than maybe it was. <laughs> um, and now we're just a wonderful big group of eight. Oh God, that's really bad. I feel like I'm getting it wrong. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's just now just a group of wonderful queer performers that just want to make people think and intrigue them and surprise them and shock them and just mm. do stuff so it's really developed in a wonderful way uh, we did the panto which was so much fun which was a smash hit it was so well. good it was so, so much, much so that fun. people were like bring it back do it again yeah more, and then we, more and then panto we did. we did it was really sad and it finished and i was like no oh. bad. <laughs> you just have to do another one this year deranging producing Awesome. And you also have another show called Are You Game? Are You Game? Yeah, Are You Game is uh, my new baby that started in September last year. Um, It's once every... It's now once every three months. It was originally once every other month, but then we decided that we could do much better shows if we did it um, in less time. And also myself and my business partner, who is the other half of Foul, um, it's Gaia Harvey-Jackson. She's an amazing performance artist and um, my creative pillar which keeps me sane bless her um she and i created are you game because we were really interested in performance and worth we were really interested in how audiences um treat performance as a product um so we go on did were you interested in the, was this the theater souk guy and i were more interested in in invoke, I suppose we're quite Brechtian as well in terms of if we're making people laugh then maybe they walk away and think at some point but honestly it was more about entertainment than the actual thinking of it we yeah. are more about making people happy than making them question too much to be honest because um, if you open up an avenue people are able to walk through um, so we created a game show uh, called Are You Game where you have to play little games that are very bizarre and our wonderful drunken creations and doodles that get turned into these magical constructions which <laughs> is brilliant because me and myself and Gaia we, we never ashamed to say that our production technique is that whenever we have a new show we sit down we get a couple of bottles of wine and we just write 
chat and talk about what we want the biggest ideas that we want and then we and then the next day we look back at the doodles and things like that and there's like dickhead hoopla yeah, like, and, and the pre lobster course and um, uh, Puschetti Chick Sick. We were like, what the fuck? And Fling Flong! Um, <laughs> and all these games with like little instructions on how they work with these little diagrams. And you're like, this is amazing. And then and then a few weeks later, Gaia is the creative, um, I suppose, the creative director out of two of us. She makes them happen. She just all of a sudden will turn around and like, make these two giant papier mache penis headdresses and be like, right, I've made Dickhead Hoopla. But like, oh my god, yes, you have. This is amazing. Um, so you have to play these games, and these games you have to lay down tokens to play the game in order to win the chance to win more tokens. But there's also other ways you can get tokens by bribing people. Um, we don't make that specifically clear, but a lot of people have figured it out. You can bribe people, you can kind of seduce tokens out of people, you can you can technically steal tokens if you wanted to, but you're a bit of an asshole if you did. Um, but you use those tokens then to pay for installations, um, art pieces, uh, one-on-one performances, audio pieces, and it's it's really, and like photo booths and stuff like that. So it's all like to and froing. And then there's big stage acts where um, we have an act that comes to stage. We have had many wonderful acts um, and then well oh yeah we have on stage games and we love to reward audience members um we are big we love rewarding people um and so when you um compete on stage you get a chance to win a performance that no one else in the audience will ever get to see so it's kind of making it very very rare and very special so then they go off and do those performances but if you don't use your tokens or performances you can put them into a raffle and you can enter the lottery and win the Egg Cup trophy, which is very coveted. Very coveted. And the next one is on the 7th of May at the book club. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, I it's love a it. big it's one. so many levels of game playing because there's, like, yeah. all the mini games, the bigger game, and then the game of, like, getting tokens out of other people. Mm. And, like, so many layers of games. Yeah, I really want to turn it into a festival. Oh, my God, that sounds unbelievable. But that's very, very... That's years off. <laughs> Hopefully one day maybe, but for now it's at the book club what and it's a great wonderful. idea though. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just so it's... cool because people love well a lot of people love sort of interactive theatre type stuff, but to mix that with cabaret as well is mm. really yeah super it's, fun. It's um yeah it's really exciting. I love it. It makes me happy. Yeah, super stressful but super fun. <laughs> it's always on the night. It's so much Good worth every grief. second. So obviously you've got two nights which are very much. I feel like they're really in keeping with your personal aesthetic and your Super personal key, like, interactive. Like yeah, interactive and getting people like involved and energized, but also really off the wall. So many ways. No, not really. <laughs> like you know, we set it up like a theatre. Everyone sits down and says nothing. <laughs> yeah, I encourage people to let loose. I encourage people to engage in the strange. It's only when you encourage people to engage with the weirdness and wonderfulness around them is that's when you start getting people that res- learn to respect performers that are close to them and learn to understand that it's a two-way street and this two-way street has to continue into the real world and there's a con- there is a concern that I, I have and it's a public concern that a lot of people hear me rant about a lot which is the treatment of people who look like myself or my fellow drag queens or uh, people who look different or chosen simply to look different in everyday life or people who look different by birth mm. have get a certain amount of rejection and very very 
ununderstanding and disrespectful treatment from other members of the public. So the more people we expose to the strange, and the more people we excite by the strange, the more people that we have in the world that will engage with us in a positive way and send a positive message. I'm all about the love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell anyone else. I think I'm nice and shit. <laughs> but it's true because I was. This kind of leads on really nicely to like some of the other questions I was going to ask you about about that kind of thing in terms of um, your aesthetic as a performer. Uh, or actually sitting in front of me now with your beautiful makeup is, is as you said, you are a drag performer. Um, uh, yeah. Most people understand drag to be a man dressing as a pretty or not so pretty lady, depending on their chosen face mm-hmm. for that evening. Um, but you are a cisgender female? Uh, I believe so. I haven't checked today, but I, <laughs> as far as I know, I still have a vagina. Yeah. So, but you choose to call yourself a drag performer. I do. Which, and for some people listening, maybe a bit like, oh, head fuck, what? Well, for the easiest way to do it, um, this is the first one to go over. I'm a drag king, which means I'm a woman that dresses as a man. Mm-hmm. That's simple. That one's done. The other one is a slightly confusing one. And this is one that I discuss in interviews a lot because people ask me because they go, oh, so you identify yourself as a drag queen. I will always say this. Honestly, I do identify myself as a drag queen out of element of easiness. Not because I'm trying to put myself in a box or anything, but it's a good way for people to introduce questions like gender and how to how how you can personify a sex and gender and stuff like that. So it's it's a good avenue of things like that. But to be honest, I'm a character. I'm a person playing a character. So that technically doesn't have to be drag. The fact that I'm playing, um, what I'm playing with a construction that males have created of female characters in the past is what makes it drag. Um, it's a very, very long and excruciating topic, but it's interesting. And to be honest, I'll be very honest, I still don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I'm still learning. I'm still doing my research. I'm still doing everything. I come from a place that I haven't come from drag, but I've been trained alongside drag and I've come into an area of my life where drag is a massive key of my life now. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm fully a drag queen, but it by no means means that I'm not a drag queen. The fact that I have a vagina does not mean that I'm not a drag queen. It just means that I'm still investigating, I'm still discussing. So yeah. it's super fun. Very, very exciting. Especially because it's one of the drag seems to be coming more and more into the public consciousness. I know. In a way that it hasn't before, which which is really great because it's really, I think, really challenging the way people actually look at gender. Um It's, it's opening up an cool. avenue of like drag is awesome. Yes. Which is which uh, is great which it which it is, of course. But it's changing the outside world so coming into the mainstream like with new shows that are representing drag and stuff like that Mm. is taking it into the mainstream and not always in the best light but at least it's making it look exciting and fun and just fucking fabulous because it is it's creative people making making creative things Mm. so that's good so it's it's heading in the right direction but it's got a long way to go yeah for sure Mm. so because it's because drag is so much about for me at the moment, looking at it as someone who doesn't beat my face or anything like that as a drag queen, like I, I wouldn't identify myself that way, but mm-hmm. I'm obviously fascinated by it because anything creative, I'm like, ooh, shiny, yes, please. Um, <laughs> it, for me, it's, like, it's very much that playing with gender, particularly having met quite a few um, people who are biologically female who are like, oh yeah, I do drag, and I'm like, ooh, but not drag king, who identifies as like more drag queen. It's really interesting. What is it about 
gender and talking about gender and, and playing with gender that particularly excites you? What is what is it about, like, it could be, you, you know, you could, I mean, you can choose, there are so many topics out there, but why gender and, like, sexuality and that kind of thing? It's actually quite a personal thing, to be honest. Um, it's not... You don't have to answer if it's too... Oh, no, no, personal wasn't, personal wasn't, it didn't come from research, it actually stemmed okay. from when I grew up. I grew up in a family of females, um, there's three of us, um, and... I was, but when I was about younger, I was very much like my dad, um, and I was very much a tomboy. I was that weird kid that like collect bugs and climb trees. I was more interested in animals than I was ever in in shopping. And my sister, on the other hand, was my mum's dream. Uh, my mum loved me, of course, and she was wonderful. But she and my sister had a special bond that I didn't understand when we were growing up. They went shopping together. They loved pink and blah blah blah. blah. Whereas. I didn't. I wanted to roll around in the mud. I wanted to do stupid stuff. I wanted to be. I wanted to be a boy. Um, and but at the same time, I enjoyed being a girl. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that I was female. I was never never identified as male. And actually, the reason I go into gender and sex is because I have a very personal understand not personal understanding because that makes it sound like I have been through sexual understanding of a certain degree of gender change or anything I haven't I just have I have a very open mind towards it and it's because of one thing and that one thing is a cat called Matilda (laughs) (laughs) I grew up and we bought a cat his name was Matilda I say his Uh, when we bought him we thought he was a girl and my mum found out he was a boy and we'd called him Matilda by this point and this is the reason why I love drag and gender so much. It's a really simple reason. And my mum's friends were like, no, you can't tell her that, uh, you can't tell her that it's a boy, it will confuse her, you have to pretend it's a girl. She won't understand that it's got a girl's name, but it's a boy, and it just, it will confuse her. And my mum was like, no, but she's, she'll understand. It's just, it's she's just. not an idiot. She's, yeah, but like so many people were so adamant about confusion. And, and then my mum told me and I burst into tears and my mum was like, I'm really sorry, I know you wanted a girl cat. And I was like, I didn't want a girl cat, I don't care, I just want to call a cat Matilda. And I can't call a boy Matilda. And my mum turned around and said, of course you can call a boy Matilda, that's fine, name isn't anything. And, and from that literal moment of being like six years old, uh, just being like, oh, so a boy can have a girl's name and can wear girls, girls clothes and still be a boy. That boy can also love other boys and that's fine. That boy can also love other girls and that's fine. Being a boy doesn't make you a boy. And that freaking changed my whole life. I had an epiphany at the age of six. I was very lucky. Wow. So that is why. And I I was always shocked when people didn't have this understanding of like sex and gender. They just were like, no, no, no. A boy is this and a girl is this. A wife and husband and blah, et cetera. Blah. I couldn't understand, and I, and I was so blessed with um, Matilda um, that I just wanted to spread the word, essentially. So blessed with Matilda, but also what sounds like a wonderful parent yeah, who is open to calling your boy cat Matilda. Yeah, I don't think she realised the extent what she'd done <laughs> until recently. I'm sure she was like... <laughs> put a tiny... Uh, she put a little seed in my in brain. Head there. Yeah, my, yeah, I don't think she'd realised what she'd done, because like... Like she is super accepting and super open minded, but it to her just then it was just because it was a cat, it didn't matter. Yeah. But now she understands that obviously that stems into all my life. That's that's turned into cats can do it. People can yeah, too. Exactly. <laughs> Matilda was awesome. Friggin' awesome cat. He died. And I was very sad. Aww. Yeah. 
Okay, spirit is on in all my work that I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how it happened. That's that's a really unexpected reason. Yeah. But in a really lovely way, it totally makes so much sense. Talking to a lot of cabaret performers who exist on the fringes of performance world, Mm. performances in like mainstream performance world, and the more cabaret performers I talk to, the more they're like, oh, I was the outcast, I was the different person, I was like this. And I think a huge way, the way we categorise people is through gender and expected characteristics mm-hmm. of your gender. So with a lot of cabaret performers, even if they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily identify as someone who is, is trans or, or even necessarily gender queer, there seems to be so much more sympathy, empathy and understanding of people who do go through that because it's almost like we all exist outside these boxes or we have understandings of being outside Yeah, we have boxes. understandings of what it feels like to be not rejected but excluded. Yeah. Um, so we have an element of understanding. Um, obviously different degrees. Um, yeah, for sure. With certain cultures and certain... Sorry, shorts are way too tight. Ugh. <laughs> um, with certain cultures and certain areas, even like certain areas of London, like you can notice the difference of how the community will treat someone who is of slight difference. I think one of the, one of the acts you're quite well known for now and we can talk about your use of prosthetics I love prosthetics sticking things to my face yes is your lizard my lizard lady Uh, she's um, my baby I fucking love her like so good Um, not because the act's good just because I enjoy being a lizard (laughs) (laughs) yeah the act's good it's alright it's not really selling myself (laughs) but I'm more just like woo I'm a lizard I'm scaly um uh, but yeah, no, I developed the lizard uh, two years ago, three years ago, two, two, two years ago, just because I love lizards. I just created the lizard and then I stopped making it because I didn't, I didn't see, I don't see the point in making something unless you're going to use it. Um, also, I didn't want the lizard lady just to be a lizard lady. I didn't want to just create a costume for the sake of a costume. I do for go-going and stuff, but the lizard was special to me. So I left it and then came back to it um, and I didn't. Don't know how I didn't see the thing before. I'm a I'm a big bookworm. I read a lot and I do as much research as I can into politics and things like that, which is super fun. I created then obviously uh, David Icke cropped up and I was like, oh, I love reptilians. Let's 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 make some satanic paedophile reptilians. Let's chat. Yeah. yeah. And but I was really, I was basically I got sick and tired of reading all these conspiracy theorists like shouting about how all these leaders are part of like reptilians or aliens or stuff like this and i was like i these these theories are perfectly fine because they're theories and anything is possible yeah. i would accept your theory as a theory the same way i accept everything as a theory um but i was just so sick and tired how they were so concerned with the fact that these people were reptilians and not actually with the fact that these per- people are in control yeah. they were in control they were talking about how these people that reptilians in control I was like well hang on isn't it more concerning that these are humans in control yeah. isn't it more concerning that you think the possibility that these genius reptilians have in person like become Boris Johnson <laughs> and these morons of the political world where you're like how do you honestly think that these creatures have gone and become the dumbest people George Bush <laughs> like he's like George Bush is a reptilian I'm like well, then reptilians are pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> or, yeah, and I was, I was so She's concerned. She's a better person to be. Yeah, and, like, the Queen. The Queen doesn't really do anything, to be honest, bless her. I like her. She sits around drinking tea. I'm not going to say the monarchy are absolutely she... amazing, but they're fantastic. 
is a very snappy dresser. She's a snappy dresser, and they're a fantastic, lovely little tourist attraction, and 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 they unify some of the country. So I'm not going to complain about the monarchy at all. Um, and also, <laughs> I grew up next door, so I'm not really allowed. Um, <laughs> Showing my background, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I was like, I'm really, really angry with like these conspiracy theorists shouting about how all these politicians were reptiles and evil shape-shifting aliens and and i was like well hang on shouldn't we just kind of take them for what they are which is manipulative bad people they don't have to be lizards yeah to be scary they yeah. don't you don't have to turn them into that we have to be worried about what these people are saying we have to be worried about the fact that there are idiots in power and it's not the idiots we're concerned about it's the people behind them mm. um and that's where your research really has to come in so basically the whole act is about how ridiculous a theory is that a reptilian is Boris Johnson or George Bush or fucking hell. Um, I and it, so I, I changed the question throughout, but remain a lizard. And even David Icke himself within the whole discussion is a lizard as well. Um, so, but then obviously I stripped down to reveal my human flesh, which is obviously the point of the whole piece where we should be concerned that they're human, not that they're reptiles. Um, so brilliant. So it's, it's a lot of fun and the the new costume is amazing. Um my costume my new costume designer, Heavens Bevans, totally plugging her, she's amazing. Has just redone it, so it's fucking fabulous. Oh mm. fantastic. Yeah, she's the one who makes my waist super duper tiny. Yes, you have a ridiculously tiny waist. And you have a tiny waist. Tiny Not today, waist. because I'm having a day off. <laughs> well, you have a tiny waist anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's been there, it's been doing it for a while. Yeah. Well I think because you were in the you were in the live podcast. Oh we are for yes, about Cabo the Physical Act. I think we touched that was ages on ago. The, I know, it was in September. God. I know. <laughs> Where is my life going? <laughs> Awesome places. Awesome, awesome, awesome places. Awesome, awesome places. I'm going to start doing this thing called sleep, and I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> ah, yeah, so I'm, actually, I want to ask you a little bit about, you've mentioned club work a little yes, bit. Yes, I do a lot of club work. Um, Not as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, when did you start getting into club work? Uh, when I was poor. <laughs> That's a very good answer. That's very honest. And, um, <laughs> I started doing like walkabout freak show and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basic club work, and it's, and then private events, I started doing podium dancing, which is when you dance in podium, and then um, uh, working in strip clubs and stuff. And mm-hmm. then uh, I worked um, full time at Cirque du Soir for a very long time. Well, was it a very long time? It was... it's, um, it's a very, it's a late. It's a late, <laughs> late one. Late one. Those Sorry, hours make it feel like it's a while. Feel like um, it's forever. Uh, which was a brilliant, and it, it was a brilliant grounding for me. Circus Wild gave me the opportunity to become full-time. I'll always, always be honest about that in terms of that. It meant that I could create costumes and consistently could be creative and have it presented and photographed and stuff, so it was really, really good. Um, I stepped away from it because the hours were killing me. Um, when you're trying to get break into proper shows, not saying that club work aren't proper shows, just um, shows of my sort in terms of stage um, shows uh, more like art pieces for stage rather than yeah more, like, more like sitting club. down and having a look sort of thing yeah not everyone's dancing and drinking and going eh, yeah. yeah and then oh look a thing's happening over here while I'm dancing yeah which is like it's just a complete wonderful thing in its own it just depends on the audience mm. um, and yeah so I, I just um, so doing like two shows beforehand and then doing Cirque meant that I was working from five till five in the morning every day that's just like performance time 
Mm. Um, so it was killing me. So I gave up club work for a little bit. I, I go back to it every now and then. Like I still enjoy going back to Cirque and seeing everyone and I do the shifts and it, it's, 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 it's good work. It's fine. Yeah. It, it can be grueling though. Um, you kind of forget what sunlight looks like. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's always the, as a performer, that's one of the things is, is your hours are so different. Mm. to normal people hours yeah and it really affects your social life I'm very blessed to have friends outside of the performing world who are very understanding when I can't make birthdays on Fridays because because they're, they've been really wonderful and understanding that some friends that have moved away from my life have not understood that I can't ask them to leave work at 2 o'clock on a Monday afternoon the same way I can't go out on a Friday night um, so I've been very lucky to have wonderful supportive friends uh, who have just been there for me and when I've said I can't go out because number one I have no money and two I have to take this gig that's not paying me enough money but at least it's more money and I've been really really blessed on that mm. front so that's good. Yeah because you are full-time performer. Yep it has its dry patches like January and February killed me but I take all the little jobs I can get alongside like I do modelling when I can mm-hmm. um, and like I'm now doing like random when I get some random uh, PA work done which it should be fun but I I've I have an attitude that's been stemmed on me by all my training which is like if you're not working you're working yeah in terms of like if I'm not if I haven't got enough gigs you can sit down on that computer and you get yourself more gigs yeah so it's terrifying and one day one day I will be consistent and stable and it'll be fine but at the moment I'm okay with being able to plan a week yeah. <laughs> of pay of um, expenses yeah for sure mm. it's a tricky year so mm. I think this year seems to be particularly hard in terms of like January February this year I don't know if it's every every year but it's but from what I've seen this year suddenly seems to have been like extra quiet yeah uh, everyone felt the pain of uh, January wasn't too bad uh, January because everyone in the industry plans for January yeah. like we like if you're a full-time performer you get ready for January you save up your money through the busy seasons of Halloween and Christmas so that when January comes you're not going to die you can pay your rent and you, you're going to survive but you, you've literally got those four weeks of money and that's it so all like a lot of people I know when February came we were all expecting to be back in work and even Valentine's week there was hardly any gigs on yeah. Not even ones that I could call and go do. There was enough. It was fine. And like, but it wasn't the same as last year. And maybe it's because there's a different element of performer. Maybe this year there were, the performance jobs were going to a different section of performers, which is what happens. Things rotate and fine. But it was just so strange that so many people were struggling. Mm. So I don't know if there's a change in the change in the air maybe yeah but march looks fine so that's right (laughs) summer looks great oh thank god thank god so yeah it's gonna be fine but it's brilliant when you look at your diary like oh summer looks great but i can't eat this week Uh. (laughs) (laughs) oh the joy so you have to like call on your friends and be like hey let's hang out can you pay for it oh hey you want to cook me dinner (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm just gonna come over and install myself in your house oh what's this fridge (laughs) (laughs) this is going out of date <laughs> don't mind if I do. <laughs> do you know? Is there anything you want to ask me about? Oh yeah, your um guide to dating. Oh yeah, because not only are you quite on, I love seeing your posts on Facebook because they're always invariably either hilarious or political, and I love both of those things. So <laughs> Yay! Because I will either be laughing or I'll be like, fuck yeah, politics. Woo. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. So you speak a lot about how people treat you out in the world Mm -hmm. sometimes which sometimes is nice and sometimes is not so nice Mm. and you also talk a lot about 
dating. I have dating. Dating series. I love dating. Uh, yeah, I do have a dating series. Sadly, I took a five-month break off it. So um, if you go to watch the videos on YouTube, there is a gap of five months between this, between now and the last thing. But there is a video coming out next week, which is super exciting because I'm back on it. Um, sadly, I took some time off because work was a little bit too busy. So it was all for the right reasons. And making videos takes a long time. You know this. Like editing is like, ugh. But it's all worth it. But it's yeah. just it's a long ass thing. So doing it every week's a bit. Um, but yeah, no, I do a dating series because um I did I did a few reviews for various different dating companies and I was really interested in um uh, the dating world and how it works and how it functions and mm. uh, when I had singletism singletism singleism sing singleism thrusted upon me um I reveled in it. I don't know what happened, but like a few months after I went down to a really dark place, all of a sudden discovered that I really fucking love dating. Not only do I love it, I'm also quite good at looking into it and reflection and well, tooting my own horn in that weird way. Um, but yeah, so I started dating and stuff and I also it was around about the time that I discovered that I was really interested in polyamory. Um, so it also makes the dating world a little bit more interesting in that sense, but I mainly focus on just dating rather than polyamorous dating because to be honest, one comes after the other. Yeah. You get the one down and you figure the other one out later. <laughs> um, because I still haven't figured out polyamory. I still haven't figured out dating. That's why I have the guide to dating. Um, but yeah, I got fascinated with like how the internet works. Like we live in this amazing world where like we're thrusted with this convenience where we can be like, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm got nothing to do. I'm gonna go on a date and. That's an amazing convenience. That beats, like, every takeout restaurant in the entire world. <laughs> Just, like, going on the internet, finding a person and spending time with them and possibly having a connection. It's an amazing thing. And people... And the stigma attached to it until recently, which is, like, only people who are desperate go on internet dating and stuff like that. I'm like, no, anyone who's intelligent will go on internet dating. It doesn't work for everyone. But I hope everyone will try it at some point. Um, but, yeah, then uh, with that also came some massive, fun feminist discussions about... Male entitlement to female time. Ooh. <laughs> Long ass conversation we're not going to have right now. Yeah, um, sure. Have me back for another one of those. Um, oh, yes. Um, and also, yeah, so I just, yeah, I just created the dating series um, because also whenever I researched into guys into dating, there was very limited of information. There is loads of information. That's a lie. There is so much information about how to online date, but it is not 80%. Yeah. 85% of the stuff is con. In terms of it's all pickup artists. We're like, how are you going to get yourself laid? And you're like, I don't know what accent that was, but that was all appalling. It, it was... <laughs> negging, man. Negging. Negging and, and learning to manipulate fun. someone into fucking you. And I'm like, that's... I... <laughs> right let's have a sit down and like chat so much it's made you super articulate yeah it's it's so brilliant and i've i've and i make i make at i've made an act now about pickup artistry it makes me really happy oh my God. um so but good. yeah so I, i'm just absolutely fascinated and and there was no and all the other ones uh were women uh, women complaining about uh the way they're treated in set dating sites perfectly justified it happens and it's really shit um but it wasn't really constructive no um and also it wasn't it i as we've discussed have a very very clear theory on that if i'm making someone laugh they might think about it 
so um, I believe in teaching through comedy. So I wanted to create something that was really funny and that would make people go, ah, ha, oh my God, he threatened to rape her. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but yeah. And then so we're separating into sections. It started off as a bit of fun and then actually people started listening to it and started standing by it, which I was really quite impressed by. Um, but yeah, so it's coming back. Um, and it totally kind of... means there's some truth in it and the things that people want wish people heard mm. or were like yes I really identify with this experience or so speaking truth yeah it's all truth and it's all based on my own experience and, and I by no means claim to be a professional I say it's a guide to dating but it's my guide to myself <laughs> um, and you can listen to it if you want sort of thing um, I will never say this is how you should and shouldn't do something this is just how I feel about it I'm also now taking on a project where I'm, interview- I'm interviewing people about their internet dating experiences um, in various different ways and creating illustrations around based on that sort of stuff. But alongside that, I'm also asking any male participants for them to donate me their account for 24 hours. Ooh. Um, I've already got four participants um, and I engage in that in the next six months. Um, and I want to see if it is... There's a lot of things. I will come up with a more firm yeah. thing, but I've, I'm really looking forward to it. So fascinating, because there's so, there is a lot of discussion at the moment around being female on the internet mm. and being a vocal female on the internet and also trying to find trolls. Dates. Yeah, and this is becoming, I think, as women are finally going, actually, no, we are actually going to talk about this and people are going to listen because mm. you should listen. Um, it's becoming more of a discussion, which is so great, but it's really interesting because you hear a lot of, like you said, a lot of women complaining about online dating, being like, oh my god, so awful, this happens. Stop why do they do this? Why do, they send, why do people send pictures of their penis to people that don't know? Don't understand this compulsion. The thing is, like... Don't understand that compulsion. I'm perfectly glad that you have a penis, and that's wonderful. And I'm, and I'm, there's an element of me that always goes, that's something quite private that you've shown me, and I, I want to be able to say thank you, but you haven't done it in a way that's... That makes me want delicate to say or thank like, you. You've done it in a way of just going, look! <laughs> Look at my penis! <laughs> and you're like... I don't go up to you and go, Look! Look at my tax return! It's the same thing to me. It's the completely unsexual, annoying and depressing thing. So, it's, yeah, I don't understand the need to do it. Yeah. Um, I think naked pictures are... I This is another issue, naked pictures and body shaming, but that's a whole other thing. Aww. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that's, that is another discussion I'd love oh, to it's... have. Mm. How we, well, we started talking about it in the physical act bodies discussion. Mm. I'm fascinated by the way people react to other people's physical bodies, mm-hmm. particularly when they're not what people expect them to be. I find yeah. that absolutely fascinating. But yeah, it'd be really interesting, obviously, because there's a lot of women going like, why do you guys do this? To, to see it from the other side and see, okay, so... What yeah. do men get? Is there an equivalent? What is the what is their culture? Because yeah, it's and really fascinating. It's also because um a lot of the guys the guys have got on to do this so far are friends of mine who are amazing people, like intelligent, funny, awesome people. But I've read their profiles, and I'm like, you're not getting yourself across at all. And I wonder, and I'm not saying that women do it any better. I'm just saying, I want to. One, I want to see if going taking a male friend and taking a female's perspective on what they are and seeing if it is going to affect their dating thing. Also, I understand that men don't get that many responses on internet dating. But 
they have that of my friends have come to understand that it's not their fault it is because we are sent so much shit that we don't read all the messages soz guys that is pretty much it we get so many annoying abusive messages that we don't get to be able to see all the good ones it's really difficult it's so difficult to read all the messages and this isn't saying oh i'm super amazing i received so many messages on on like all the internet dating things it's not women get bombarded with shit all the time so i'm sorry guys it's one of the reasons you're losing on messages replying is because your fellow mankind is fucking you over and you know all the good guys out there kind of need to speak up as well you know mm. it can't just be women constantly being like this isn't okay please stop that yeah there's a new dating app that i'm gonna review next week Ooh. uh called anti-date i am looking forward i know nothing about it uh but those is date i know i know limited amounts about it i'm, I'm and yeah, all I know about it, I've tried, I'm not reading anything about it, I'm not reading any reviews until I've done it, because I tend not to read other people's reviews until I've played it. Yeah. Um, and it's apparent, all I know is it puts women, women in control. Mm-hmm. And I am, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Nice. I one. wonder how they do it. So if people want to know the low-down, detailed versions, obviously they can check out your Guide to Internet Dating Yes, YouTube I will be, videos. I will be doing, um, the next episode that's coming out is a brief, brief discussion over the most popular internet dating sites mm-hmm. um not all of them um they there is far too many to mention in one episode and then i'll be doing more detailed ones of each individual one like tinder and okcupid and um, yeah. lovestruck and things like that over in each individual episode yeah um and giving you my own personal experience on it so as a little teaser for that kind of thing just quickly what would you say would be your favorite one my favorite dating at, site. yeah at the moment because i'm moment, sure it can change depending on what you it want. hasn't changed for a while at the moment yeah, okay. and it's um it's it's really a popular one and a lot of people were shouting at me for saying it's actually okay cupid okay cupid has one of the widest range of personalities that i've ever come across on a site it's got a really good age range um in terms of i tend not to date people uh below the ages of like 26 27 even though that I'm younger, and it allows me to look at a group of people that are above that. And also the age range goes from like 23 to like 60. It's amazing. Uh, the range of personalities, huge. Other sites I go on, I can kind of tell you what kind of person's going to be on there. But okay, Cupid, massive range. And it's also, it's it's a free site, which means that it's allowing people to just do it. Yeah. Which means the people that have that just do it attitude will be on there, mm. which is the sort of person that I like to hang out with. Uh, also it's um it's quite easy to use it gives you a profile um it doesn't uh, you can answer loads of questions to get a percentage match uh that match is not the best thing in the world i'd say but i tend not to listen to matches anyway i just tend to do it based on what i like and also um it's quite uh it's very easy to block someone. <laughs> that block button is like heaven. They've got some fun questions. So they've got some fun questions. Like and they're bored and doodling about. You can always fill in these questions. They're quite interesting. And they're, they're also not shy in terms of, okay, Keeper's really trying to be open. They're discuss- they ask you questions about drugs. They ask you questions about sex. They ask you questions about open relationships. So they're going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. They're really going, trying to go in the right direction. They have a long way to go. But I really appreciate what they're doing, and um, I look forward to seeing how it develops over the next few years. When I was on there, I got invited to a poly party, which sounded like loads of fun, but I was actually busy that night, which is really sad. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it was like called a 99% party, where cool. basically this couple had set it up so that they would invite people they were quite highly matched with. Mm. I think it was like 99% or 90% or above match. They'd invite them 
to the party. Fabulous. But you ha- as if you agreed, you had to bring along someone who was a ninety percent or above match with you. So everyone had to bring someone to the party. Didn't not necessarily as a date. But then that person had to bring that the person you invited had to bring someone as well. Uh, only if they'd been invited by the. Oh, okay, so anyone so anyone who was directly invited could invite someone else. I want to do that. Necessarily invited. Oh my god, I'm gonna do that. But I should like get fun. someone else ask me who'd been invited to the same. Oh, that's lovely. Really yeah, but I was busy that night. I was really like, oh. That's what I want to do. That actually, I'm it was it was really cool, and it was this couple who were like really open about the fact that they were a polyamorous couple, and they were you know bringing each other, but they were like, we just want to meet some cool people. Fabulous. Bring some people who might be interested in the same. You know, come on. It's really. It was a cool idea. I definitely might try that. I might suggest it to a few friends. Oh, you want to ask me oh, those questions? I'm, yeah, I'm going to ask you the question. It's that time, sadly. Can I put them in the same... Can I put it in the same answer? Yeah, absolutely. The best, the best and worst yeah, thing that's happened Yeah, what is the me? best... What is the worst thing that's happened to you on stage and what's the best thing that's happened to you on stage? And it can be both at the same time. It totally can. The thing is, I could say you say something really easy, like, um, Wanderground this season, I received standing ovations and that was something that my life was really, like... It's. It is that horrible Oscars moment where you're like, you love me, you really love me, and it's like it's invigorating and enthralling, and you finally feel like all those sleepless nights and all that shit and all that grueling hard work you've done is just paid off. Yeah. And someone has understood what you've done, and is in so much appreciation that they've jumped to their feet. Yeah. And it is. It's a brief moment when you're like. Um, but those like those moments aren't really like the best moments for you psychologically. To be honest, they're just wonderful little tidbits in your life, uh, little nibbles. I hope there's more <laughs> at some point. Maybe not. Maybe that was my last one. Um, but to be honest, okay. Uh, oh God, this is a really horrible question. I'm Even though you told me about sorry. it. I'm like... Okay, I'm gonna put it down to this one thing. It may not be the absolute truth of um what is the best and worst thing, mm-hmm. because I can't actually think for the life of me what it is but there is one experience I had and it was the second cabaret I hosted and this was a time when I was still learning to host I'm still learning to host everyone's learning you're always developing um but I'm I was really still in my baby stages uh this was not your one it was one after I did that one it was um metamorphosis metamorphosis that was a bloody good show yeah metamorphosis and it was really fun and I really enjoyed hosting it. It was like act after act was just fucking flawless. It was made my job super easy. And once your job's easy, it means that you can be creative and fun. And I felt myself really developing as an artist and a host and I was retaining jokes that I was saying and I felt confident and I always felt like I was getting somewhere. And it was at the end, there was a woman in the front row who was an absolute cunt all night. <laughs> she was so just she hated burlesque. Do you yes, remember her? I remember her, and I remember the person who brought her being absolutely appalled. mortified yeah. and appalled and devastated. Um, but she was just nasty. I mentioned burlesque, and she even outside had spoken to me about how much she hated burlesque and how shit it was. Um, and I, I. I don't understand people who do that. Why put down something you don't know anything about? Um, and it's the same with so many industries that people just shout about that how they don't like it. And I'm like, it's okay not to like something. Don't come to a show. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I don't care. I frankly don't give a shit about 
if you don't like it, if you feel that your opinion's not going to change, I don't, I don't have time to waste on you. I have time to waste on people who are open-minded and excited. And even if they don't agree with burlesque, they're still open-minded to the possibility that the person behind it is excited by it. And that's what's important, is the person behind it is happy. Um, so anyway, she was being an absolute dick. She was sitting there the whole time, just like, no, I don't like it, I don't like it. It was like, oh my God, she was so annoying. <laughs> she was just grumpy. She didn't say anything, she didn't cheer, she didn't scream, she didn't, she just looked at me with a slapped ass face. She was nasty. And when a burlesque performer on, she was just making all these comments to her friend about how disgusting it was and how shit it was. And the show was amazing. It was one of the best shows that I've worked on. It was so good. The performers were amazing. And it was, the crowd was really fun. Was, it was just this one person. And I wrote this song ages ago, very much for the same reason why that person exists, um, uh, called Colours of the Gin, because a, 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 a audience member did the same thing she did once, ages ago when I was hosting. And I hammered nails into my face and stuff like that. And he afterwards came up to me and was like, you're such a freak, and was really aggressive, and then ran away. And I was really pissed off with the fact that someone didn't even join in, didn't even try and communicate with me, just all of a sudden decided that I was a freak, that was it. But... And then I realised that these people that do this have no concept of how amazing my life is. <laughs> so I was like, right, so I wrote this song called Colours of Gin. I've taken Disney's Colours of the Wind and basically just talked about all the amazing things that happened to me in my nightlife and all the amazing performers. And it's all about um, how do you, uh, you, you can, the, the last lyric is my favourite one, which is, I just, I totally wrote myself. I, like, I stole the song off Disney, but I wrote the lyrics myself, um, which is, um, you can have that seat and still it's just a seat until you can paint with all the colors of the gin and it's a very poignant thing where people can sit in those seats and they can make the judgments of what they want to make our judgments about our lives but to be honest they don't know yeah and they can frankly fuck off um but so this woman so at the end i knew this song was coming and i just this song was is exactly aimed for that person and this woman had given me it was horrible it made made me feel horrible so at the same time, it was this amazing point at the end where a lovely audience that you were there was massively on my side. So when I sung this song directly at her, it was the most enthralling thing for an audience that was the audience that I love, that got on my side, stood behind me and cheered and just made this woman feel like she was the asshole that she was being. And that was like the best and worst moment in my career so far. Yeah. So yeah, it was good, it was fun. It was a wonderful night because I was, as you said, I was in the audience, I was further back. I oh, wasn't in the in the pit with with the with those that person. Mm. So I had no idea what was going on. I was just having the absolute time of my life because like you said, it's I think it's honestly one of the absolute best roulette nights I've ever been to. Aww. This is coming from someone who's been to a fuck of a lot of them. They they are good shows. I really enjoy roulette. Yeah. But that night was like, it was so great. There was such an amazing buzz. And then I came outside and I heard that this had gone down. And like, so much rage. So much rage. I was like, how dare this person spoil the best night ever? How dare they? Well, the thing is, they didn't spoil it. They just highlighted exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. And it wasn't, so it was the fact that they were being a dickhead spoiled it. But the fact that they actually brought it, because it was, it was the front row, of all, the, like the pit. It was the pit that really got on in it, um, which is a shame because people further back wouldn't know what was going on, I suppose. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to personally prosecute her because 
That wouldn't have been helpful. That wouldn't have been helpful, and it would just alienate her further and stop her coming to shows. And it would have also made the show all about her. Yeah, exactly. And, like, if you don't so know, I just sang it deserve to her. that attention. So I just sang it to her, and the audience around me knew exactly what I was talking about, and they really got behind me, and that was just really like, yay! So it was really, really nice to see the two, do see the reasons see the two reasons why I do what I do because the audience that do welcome me but also because the audience that reject me and it's ones that reject me are the ones that I shouldn't waste my time on and I talk about like oh fuck them whatever but I kind of want them to change and maybe it's the little like nurse in me that's just like you're better than this you Mm. you don't have to reject someone if you don't agree with something that's fine just you don't have to hate them Mm. hate is super bad I've heard all this stuff like hate's really really shit yeah, I've I've heard it's not great. I mean, in general, I think hate hates one of those things you probably shouldn't. Yeah, it's quite bad to engage in it. Really. It's bad to engage it's in not, that. Not, not healthy for anyone really. Yeah, I think I've gotten to a point in my life where I literally harbour no hate, which is yeah. really really nice. I have a lot of anger to a lot of the world, and I have a lot of anger towards prosem, like shit, and the treatment of women. Obviously, super feminist in so many ways as anyone who knows me listening to this will know. <laughs> um, and obviously, situations in the world that make me angry, but I think hate's only going to make it worse, whereas anger can actually make you... It's a motivational force yeah, in so many ways. you can be productive yeah. with anger. You yeah. can use it and channel it. But hate just kind of sits there. Being yeah. Hate makes you bad. stupid. And I think hate's what makes people lazy. Mm. It's easier to hate someone than to learn to accept or change very profound note to end I know on. I'm like Buddha so profound. I'm not Buddha for anyone who is offended by that comment <laughs> I'm much skinnier thank you so much for chatting with me anytime you know what I'm just, I just want that as a soundbite now <laughs> <laughs> fabulous take it it's yours just, just release that as a teaser <laughs> all you need to know about this podcast in one soundbite <laughs> Uh, but I smile like butter. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, thank you so so much. It's no, thank you for having me. Blast. If people want to find you on the internet, uh, tell me your links. Ooh, the links. Okay, my YouTube channel is Lolo Brow. L O L O B R O W. Because some people call me Lola Brown, and that is a <laughs> massive issue. I. You have to act as your alter ego, Lola Brown. <laughs> I got introduced the other day as Lola Brown. I was almost like, no! <laughs> to the point where I just ran up going, my name is Lola! <laughs> my name is a pun! <laughs> I'm fucking Low Brown! <laughs> and I've worked with people recently who've gone, I've only just gotten your name. And I'm like, oh, great. I just thought you were weird. I'm like, oh, thanks. I thought you just liked eyebrows. I do like eyebrows, but no. <laughs> Anyway, it's a thing, guys. It's a thing. <laughs> Talk about how I don't harbour hate. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Lolo Brow. This is all very easy. Um, my website is www.lolobrow.co.uk um, because no one else has my name, so it's quite easy. Um, you can also find out details of Cabaret Arrangement at www. 
cabaretarangium.com. If you want to find details about Are You Game, uh, please visit the www.fowl, spell F-O-W-L, cabaret.com website, and there'll be tickets available there. Um, and that's pretty much it. You can yeah. find me on like Instagram and shit, and I take loads of selfies. I take so many selfies, it's amazing. You have amazing makeup a lot of the time. I, I, like I, I think this is how thing. I get, yeah, that's how I get away with it. <laughs> not, I'm not vain at all. Fabulous makeup, so. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's what people are like, you take a lot of selfies. I'm like, because yeah, I spend so long doing my makeup. I'm like, maybe I spend so long doing my makeup so I can take a selfie and have an excuse. Uh, thank you so much for listening everyone I've been your host Rosie Cole you can also find me on the internet you can find me on my website rosiecole.com you can find me on Facebook forward slash Rosie Cole Dancer you can find me on Twitter at Rosie underscore Cole notice how all of these are different for your convenience (laughs) and um, I do like it when people tweet me I'm not the best at Twitter but I will reply eventually which I know is not really the point of Twitter, but I will. So please do tweet me. And uh, if you have any opinions, people you'd like to see interviewed or things that you like or feel could be improved about the show, please email me at rosiecoldancer at gmail.com because I love feedback and I love engaging with people. And audience, as performers, we are nothing without you. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. <laughs> I'm not just kidding. <laughs>